I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just wanna be the one you love. And with your admission, you'd feel the same. I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just wanna start a flame in your heart. Well, welcome everyone. It is May now. It is May. May the third, actually. Wow, huh? May the third. And on May Day, um, we are the News USA. You guys made your debut, and it was pretty awesome. I was getting text messages, but I was in the boonies on Sunday. So I wasn't getting a lot of text messages, and I was using up all my phone battery and device batteries for other stuff. So it was kind of difficult to kind of <laughs> assess uh, what they were trying to alert me to so i was i was really impressed and proud of everyone and apparently uh they there are a lot of people that are supposedly with the patriots right supposedly all about america but they don't want to hear from you that's that's sad but today i thought it would be important for us to visit um how there are only only step four steps there's no step five four steps to the change that we have been going through. And hopefully that'll help you understand more of where we are going to. How's that? Uh, tomorrow, I can't wait. We're going to talk about Antarctica. It'll be one of a series of five shows on it. Um, and I know I was actually shocked to see someone found a tweet of mine from uh, February of 2020, where I said, well, you know, Antarctica is going to come into focus after Africa. It'll be like May 2021. And you guys are all seeing what's happening with Africa. You're seeing what's happening with Africa. And it's becoming clearer now. Um, yesterday, we were supposed to do movie night. Um, phones and devices were all gone because of the overuse. Uh, so that was uh, the multi-step factor authentication really wasn't working with me. So um, instead, I just sat there for a couple of hours with Millie and we just talked. And uh, it was a lot of fun just talking with you. And it was great seeing her. It was our second uh, Easter together. Well, Greek Easter. She celebrates Easter at a different time. Uh, so it was really, really fun. I hope uh, those of you that were celebrating Easter or even not had a great weekend. It was great uh, for me. I was with both my children and my daughter's fiance. And uh, then, you know, I um, had uh, my daughter and her fiance meet Millie and Gavin at more, more closer, right? Because uh, Millie's met my other daughter before, but never, you know, like hang out, hang out. So I was really excited. I really wanted to watch a movie, but it was just not working out for us. And I guess, you know, that's okay. We just did a little bit of chitty chatting and um, tried to eat s'mores. 
so it was um, actually uh, quite uh, quite fun, and it was um, something that I haven't done since last year, I th right? Because that's when I had Easter with Millie last year. I um, saw my dogs, who are both very old. Um, Zeus, my great Pyrenees, I uh, got in 2011, February 2011. And he was five weeks at the time. So he was still having baby teeth. And I would find teeth all over the floor for the next couple months. And um, now he's like over, you know, he's 10 years old. Um, he's, you know, he's got mouth cancer, which is something normal for those types of breeds where the gums start to create a lot of tissue. Um, as long as it's not painful, it's it's fine. You know, he's still happy and smiling and vibrant, so that's fine. I'm not going to put him through chemo or remove his jaw so that I can extend his life. That's stupid. Um, and then we also have our Great Dane, which I rescued in 2014. I actually saw her on TV from a kill shelter. Um, I was It was just the right time, right place. And there were two dogs um, there was a St. Bernard and a Great Dane and they were like, yeah, you know, at midnight, we're going to be putting them down because, um, you know, we don't have history for these, um, animals and therefore, uh, you know, they're going to be put down. So I was like, well, which one's closer? I guess it was the Dane. And, um, I went to see her. When we saw her, she was about 50 to 55 pounds. So she was super thin. She had like burn marks from cigarette butts. And the vet that was there was like, look, we don't have any history. She's really sketchy. She barks all the time. Uh, we don't know how she is with kids, with cats, with other dogs. She's just barking all the time. So we're going to have to put her down if no one takes her. And I was like, I'll take her. And I put a muzzle on her and put her in the car and I thought look she eats my cat I'll kill her myself because uh, uh, my cat is like you know my man and so um, it, that was it at that time we still had our lab who passed away in 2019 um, and Zeus so they all got along and that was it so and she's been with us ever since so they didn't know her age they assume she was between three and five years old back in 2014. So she's quite old too. Um, so yeah, those are my puppies. Those are my extended furry children. And um, that was it. I mean, she barks a lot. She's sketchy sometimes around people, but uh, she's, she's a good dog. I mean, I, I love animals. Uh, I think sometimes more than humans. Uh, only because they're so um, uh, so unconditional. They take people at face value. I mean, basically, they can sniff their butts, too, and tell what they're about, right? But <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so it's, it's, it's completely unconditional, um, the love that they show, which is I, I, I really wish that a lot of humans had that. Um, it would be a lot simpler than just saying, oh, just... You know, sometimes I think all of us are just thinking, you know, the world is just so horrible. Just nuke it. We're done. Let's start over. Um, but, you know, no one would ever do that because of all the lives. Even when you want to eradicate evil, you're like, well, every single person 
that is not evil will be saved because it's not the right thing to do by, you know, just saying there are casualties of war. I don't believe that. I don't believe in that. Uh, there should never be any sacrifice or casualty of war of someone that um, isn't evil. So that, that's my take on it. So what do we start with today? There's just so much we should go through. Um, but I believe that we should start with just um, uh, a revisit of, you know, this trafficking issue that we have. Uh, a couple years ago, we did talk about that Honduran woman in uh, Illinois, in Chicago, actually, who had... 40 women packed into a house and they were all slaves and they were there for trafficking, if you remember. And, you know, this was one of the biggest, for me, it's a very big deal because these people have no one. And I've talked about this before. These migrants, most of them are either uh, were in trafficking rings back in their home country or were trying to r run away from them or they've just had it really, really bad, hoping for a break. Others were just kidnapped and then taken into trafficking rings and smuggled within the United States to do whatever. Um, other people sold their children to these people. So it's it's a really sad thing because when we think of illegal migrants, you know, we automatically know that one, it's illegal, so that's key. Two, each of them have a story. And out of 100 illegal migrants, only half a person actually has a bona fide reason to have run for their lives. Now, many will say, well, why don't they just run to a country next door? Why do they have to come all the way to America? It all depends on circumstances, and it depends how it goes. But the one thing is, no one should ever be treated the way these human beings were treated. Um, I found this clip from... Uh, the epic times that I wanted to play for you in regards to those uh, human beings and not the ones that were in Illinois, but they found 90 people in a two-story home in Houston that were packed in there and possibly it's human trafficking. Take a listen to this. I mean, it's just incredible just how, imagine their day every day. It's just, you can't fathom it. Houston police reports that over 90 people were found inside a two-story home in Houston on Chessington Drive. That's after they received a kidnapping call that turned out to be much more. Assistant Chief Darren Edwards said officers found dozens of people all huddled together in two separate rooms. He says there were no children. The youngest person was in their early 20s. Of the around 90 people, there were approximately five females and the rest were males. Edwards says this was more a smuggling thing than a trafficking thing. They reportedly hadn't eaten in a while, but the Houston police gave them food and water. Several had symptoms of the CCP virus with no sense of smell or taste. They've gotten rapid testing to find out for sure. Edwards said there was no information about suspects as of now. Homeland Security Investigations is leading the case. And the Biden administration just announced. Wow, right? Imagine 90 people. That's like, I don't even think we put 90 people in our house uh, for a house party, right? Um, we're in one house, all being detained against their will. Uh, I found uh, USA Today's clip 
that I think might be uh, a little bit more in regards to shedding light. Uh, it was it was quite fascinating to hear how this is happening because I'm sure there's a lot of people in your neighborhood uh, that could probably speak to this too. This happens uh, in many, many places around the United States and many times people are none the wiser. Take a listen. Oh, you can't take a listen because the volume is not on. Here we go. We had our tactical operations team SWAT uh, go in and execute the search warrant. And when they got inside the house, they realized that this is actually going to turn into a smuggling, human smuggling investigation. We realized that there were over 90 people inside. And so we immediately began to assess uh, any kind of a special threat after that. Once we isolated that, we wanted to be, make sure we rendered uh, any kind of a, a medical care. So we had HFD with us. Uh, we are concerned that there may be some positive COVID cases inside the house. It's a two-story house. So uh, they, they, they basically, uh, you know, are in there in, 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 your, in their basic clothing and all, all huddled together. So that's what, we, that's what we saw when we got in. Now, it was a big surprise when we got in the house and saw what we saw. Celebrating Bubby's 70th birthday. Wow, right? Just think about it. All those people in one house. I mean, you're in a two-story house, what, three bathrooms, right? And you still have a problem on, you know, making time to brush your teeth. Just imagine being packed into a house like that. It's just, it's insane. You know, they were there working on a kidnapping call, right? And find 90 people. Just imagine where these people end up. Brothels? Where do they end up? In a laboratory? What if all 90 of these people were testing out some new vaccine? You don't know. Were they house slaves? Were they, you know, being sold off to the highest bidder? You don't know. This is, this is what's insane, that this stuff happens right next door. And people are none the wiser because we don't see it. See, sometimes we can see things outside, you know, like this is why people can criticize it. Oh, look at what she's wearing. Oh, did you hear about her affair? Right. But they don't even see shit going on in their own house. And now in your community, oh, look that, you know, Oh, Los Angeles, totally lost cause. Drug addicts, homeless people everywhere. And here you are in suburbia, Texas, and you've got human smugglers with like 90 people packed into a house right next door. You never even saw it because you're oblivious to it because you don't believe that it would be in your proximity. Huh? Uh, been there, done that, where you just can see outside, but you can't see inside. And it's not so much of not being informed. It's what capacity we have to believe that these things exist in certain domains. We would expect things if someone said, oh, you know, it was right by the border, you know, on the other side or on this side, you would be like, oh, okay. Or, um, you know, if you heard about, uh, you know, a bunch of migrants being housed up in a house, you'd be okay with them very close to the border, but you wouldn't think they'd be somewhere in the middle. I don't know, like... 
Iowa or something, right? Or Montana, right? Like on a ranch with like a bunch of people. And then, you know, some people just think it's a cult, but it's actually a human trafficking zone where they just make babies and churn them out. True story. So, you know, if you move on, you know, in your thought, you just have to understand that humans have this insane evil quality about them. And this is why I've always said um, many, many times before that, you know, if aliens were actually looking at us down here and saying, oh, look, these humans, look at them. I'd, I'd totally be like, yeah, I know, right? They're so capable of so much harm, evil, hate. But at the same time, they're the most capable of love and compassion and support, right? And that that terrifies you to think that, you know, you don't know who, what, when, where. I mean, look at Wexner in, in Ohio. They have hospitals named after a prolific pedophile, the Wexner Medical Center, right? They praise him and he's a prolific pedophile and human and child trafficker, but they praise him. They have a man who exploited little children by creating thongs for 12-year-olds, but they praise him in Ohio with names of his on buildings and streets and hospitals. It's disgusting what people would do and turn a blind eye to for money. See, it's all about that. Money and power. It's just disgusting what people would do. Now, considering all this evil, one must have to say, well, it's manifesting pretty quickly. What is happening? Well, we're going to get into that because we're going to dissect, you know, what's really happening here. But before we do that, I did see someone... Um, retweet something quite old. I had, oh, I had mentioned it on Twitter, didn't archive, of course. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's important for us to revisit this uh, from a long time ago. Let me see. Should I go? I'll go with 2010 first. And, you know, I have said I had a cosmic clearance. So there's a lot to talk about on this, but not yet. So WikiLeaks, well, WikiLeaks had leaked a UN briefing on an alien god arrival. I don't know if you guys had seen that. But this is a um, a report. It's actually from 2012 that I want to show you. But before we do that, two years prior to that leak, um, there was an appointment uh, by the UN for an ambassador to aliens. But, you know, they don't exist, of course, right? So I wanted to show you that only because it's important to understand that this wasn't mainstream. This is a real thing. And, you know, a lot of people pretend oh, that's just silly. That's like a conspiracy theory. And it's like, pick tinfoil hat over ignorance any day, my friend. So um, let's take a listen to that because it's important. It's very important to know about this now. So this is from 2010, okay? 2010, coming from Fox. Mm, this is by Fox News, okay? And I'm going to play it side by side to avoid um, getting 
in trouble for it. So let me see if I can make it a little bit bigger. Nope. Maybe this way. This way. Yes. Okay. Is that better? Uh, we'll just do this. That's fine. Okay. Here we go. Ready, guys? Take a listen. This movie. I'm sorry, Captain. This is a restricted area. I can't let you pass without clearance. Okay. Come here. You want to see my clearance? Maybe I'll just leave this here with you. Let him pass. Let him pass. <laughs> Will Smith, Independence Day, a movie about aliens invading Earth. But now the United Nations is getting ready for a contact with aliens from outer space. This is Maslin Offman. She's out of Malaysia. She will be planet Earth's first interstellar diplomat. And Michio Kaku is a theoretical physics professor, also host of the Science Channel series, Sci-Fi Science Physics of the Impossible, which is doing great, by the way. How are you doing, by the way? Very good. Nice Very good. to see you, Michio. And I don't know. Is this a goofy idea? Is this a serious idea? What in the world is the UN doing involved in this? Well, don't expect flying saucers to land on the White House lawn anytime soon, announcing, take me to your leader. It sounds like a goofball idea, but here's the rationale. Sometime later this year, maybe early next year, astronomers will announce that we have discovered Earth-like twins in outer space. And when we gaze out the night sky, somebody may be gazing back at us. But it's not going to be a two-way conversation. It's not like ET phone home. It's going to be a one-way conversation, eavesdropping on aliens from outer space, perhaps. So even if we were able to send a signal, how would we communicate? That's exactly right. If you have a message in a bottle in the ocean, you can't communicate back to the people right. sending the message in a bottle, right? <laughs> which, which makes it seem all kind of, kind of strange. I can understand yeah. if you came up with the idea. I can understand if NASA came up with the idea. Yeah. But what about the United Nations? I think they want to stake a claim because right now there are no protocols. There's no way to address an alien ambassador. There's no way to set up how trade would be, how communications and information would be exchanged. So I think they want to like put a stake in the, in the ground and say, we claim this uh, in the name of the United Nations. Now, I know there are others who believe in, in life in outer space, and they believe perhaps they've even touched down here on planet Earth already. Mm-hmm. But the point that you make about these satellites in the coming year, the Kepler and the, is it the Karat satellite? Yeah, the Karat satellite. Uh, they're French looking satellite. deep into space, right? That's right. They might be able to find signs of life. That's right. But, but the signs of life would be like, they'd be microbes, right? Probably. Michio's walking around up there. No. So far, we have found 500, uh, 500 giant planets in outer space, but none of them are Earth-like. And that's where the Kepler, a U.S. satellite, and Corot, a French satellite, are the wild cards. Sometime later this year or next year, we expect them to announce. Astronomers will announce that we found it, the Holy Grail, an Earth-like twin in outer space. But that doesn't mean, uh -huh. that doesn't mean they have Fox News, that doesn't yes. mean they have TV, radio. Or, or the Science Channel, right? Now, right. do you know Maslin Othman, the woman out of Malaysia? Have you heard no, of her before? No, never, never. It's the United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs, a very obscure agency of the UN. Uh -huh. right. Very obscure, I would say. Well, we've tried this before. Was it 1977? We sent a message to outer space and on like, the Pioneer, the that, Voyager. That got us nowhere, did it? <laughs> <laughs> and first, I think it's premature for us to announce our presence in outer space until we know their intentions, right? I mean, they may, they may view us as lunch, in which case maybe it's a good idea to keep <laughs> uh -huh, ourselves so funny, a little bit obscure. And, and as someone said, if they're looking for intelligent life, they don't want to start the United Nations. That was what they said anyway. Pa. Michio, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll 
Wow. Take me to your leader. <laughs> we need to fix that. And we don't need the UN. The UN is reconstructing the center of our future. You guys already see it starting from the beginning again. We went through that during our Africa episode where I showed you the size of Africa and where it all started. But what's interesting is, is that WikiLeaks had leaked documents in regards to this. And not a lot of people caught that. So I think it's important we revisit that. Uh, they actually talked about a um, an alien god arriving. No joke. They did. And these are bonafide documents. And WikiLeaks never post things that don't exist. So we're going to jump in here at the beginning. And where is it? There's a lot of misinformation in here, too. So I want you guys to know that. What was in the skies over Jerusalem? And why did it stop over one of the most treasured sites in Christianity? We had, we've seen them in Mississippi like this, but never like this. Well, if you surf around online today, uh, and it probably will not be long before you come across footage of a UFO in the skies over Jerusalem. Now it is sparking intense debate on the Internet. Trace Gallagher following this live from our West Coast News. And so the question is, what was that UFO? What was it doing over Jerusalem? And, you know, is he back? Yeah, and that is the question, by the way, Megan, because, you know, critics, it's, it's difficult for them to dismiss this because there are so... Did you hear that? What was over the skies in Jerusalem? What was it? And is he back? Is he back? Did you hear that? <laughs> they reared their face and no one was paying attention. Good thing Tori had a lot of time on her hands sitting in that filing cabinet. <laughs> Well, if you surf around online today, uh, and it probably will not be long before you come across footage of a UFO in the skies over Jerusalem. Now it is sparking intense debate on the Internet. Trace Gallagher following this live from our West Coast News. And so the question is, what was that UFO? What was it doing over Jerusalem? And, you know, is he back? Yeah, and that is the question, by the way, Megan, because, you know, critics, it's, it's difficult for them to dismiss this because there are so many different angles. We've got four different videos, all from various perspectives, uh, showing this light above the Dome on the Rock. In Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, of course, we know which is a holy site for both uh, Jews and Muslims. You see the shining ball of light, right? It's above there. It's kind of, well, they just froze it. I really can't see it now. But there it is right there. It's at the top of the screen. Yeah. It's up there and it hovers, kind of a pulsating orb. And then hold on here because this thing starts going down right toward, you see it there, going down toward the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount. And then it stops and it hovers there for a while. It kind of sits there, and then all of a sudden it shoots straight back up into the air. Oh, now experts say this would be kind of an indication this is an unmanned. There it is. You saw it right What's there. That? It shot straight back up in the air. Yeah. Kind of hard to see, but it shot up in the air, and the experts think that, you know, it's an unmanned vehicle, they believe. It could be a drone, but they do not know of anything like this in the Israeli army. Um, so they say this is either incredible video or some very well orchestrated hoax. Some have said maybe this is a movie uh, that's a, you know putting out this this uh, I don't know what do you put out your movie a trailer or some kind of a 
a hoax to try and promote a movie that's yet to be named. We don't know. Could be Jacob's Ladder. Remember Jacob's Ladder? No, I don't watch scary films. They freak me out. Well, no, the, the biblical thing where Jacob's Ladder, you know, was the, the Jews and the Christians believe Jacob's Ladder, who he saw in a dream, leads from the Temple Mount. I thought that was a thriller that, that, that went very scary. Yes. That's what one of the producers said. Yeah. I saw that movie. No, I'm talking about the biblical. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow. It's scary. Hmm. Is he back? An unholy fury of tornadoes, at least 16 of them, one after the other, tearing through Midwestern towns today. On our broadcast tonight, the devastation across seven states, entire neighborhoods destroyed in that violent outbreak of storms. At least 27 tornadoes in all. And tonight, the forecast is looking grim again. The wall of monster tornadoes is tearing across this nation. 37 million Americans in their path. Four states are under the highest possible alert, and this is why. I was actually there in Kentucky when that happened in 2012. Terrifying scenes on the ground. The view from a car window in Indiana. Tonight on Nightly News, state of emergency on the ground here in Indiana and across the tornado zone. Dozens are dead. Entire towns destroyed. Small country town in Indiana, and it is, as you can see, virtually gone. Virtually every house in this community is like this. If it is standing, it is certainly not inhabitable. And you mentioned the EF4 category rating. That means winds of 175 miles per hour across this path. It is nothing but destruction. Good evening. Tonight, a U.S. Senator from Indiana said they'd appreciate the prayers of everyone watching television tonight. We are in the midst of covering a massive outbreak of severe weather this evening the likes of which we're not sure we've ever seen before. 155 million Americans have been in the path of severe weather today and remain so tonight. We've had tornadoes in eight states so far. At one point this evening, as we said, there were 19 separate tornado warnings. They are all over the map in the southeast, including some major cities, including some smaller towns that are frankly no longer standing. At the heart of some of these storms is some of the strongest weather this planet can produce. Weather Channel meteorologist Jim Cantori is on the ground in Henryville, Indiana, the scene of some of the worst damage we have seen all day. Jim, are you with us? Yeah, good evening, Brian. We just kind of rolled in here and pulled off uh, away from all the emergency vehicles. There's just an entourage of those coming in right now here into Henryville, Indiana. Just a massive tornado. I mean, take a look at some of these pictures. We understand that nine people so far have lost their lives. They expect that death toll to climb as they are just beginning a massive search and rescue effort over four counties this evening. But look at the kind of damage. Homes completely destroyed. School buses. Thank goodness no kids were in those buses. You have to think, what was there in 2012? What was so incredible that we had to have a cluster of tornadoes? I was actually in Kentucky when that happened. What is it and why? I do want to warn you that what you have seen thus far is but a wake-up call. I want you to prepare. Now, to other pressing matters. This is to both Israel and the United Nations. Do not divide my land. 
There is a Palestinian solution. It does not involve the reduction of Israel. Israel is to remain intact. If its borders are reduced, you shall know my anger. So 20 days later, they say against Lord Ryle's commandment to the Palestinians to submit a bid for nation statehood in the United Nations, 20 days later, against that person's commandment. After days of diplomatic wrangling and decades of waiting, a formal application from the Palestinian state for membership of the United Nations. The letter handed over to the Secretary General by Mahmoud Abbas in his capacity as chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Then a resounding ovation as a Palestinian leader entered the General Assembly chamber. Applause echoed thousands of miles away in Ramallah, where crowds had gathered to watch these momentous events in Palestinian history unfolding. And they heard a speech very different to those that notably reserved Mahmoud Abbas had given in the past, the tone that of an earlier era. Before the so-called peace process got underway at Oslo, the Palestinian leader not merely asking for UN membership, but demanding it as a right. So the United Nations accepted the application and promised to review it by September 27th and vote on September 28th, right? But Lord Ra'el's intentions were known around the world earlier, and the Russians actually acted accordingly. Now, he didn't really give a message, okay? This is on Wiki, WikiLeaks. They actually got a mess. I, I kid you not. It's there. Super sun blast fears put rushing planes. Da, da, da. The U.S. actually responded to it, too. And uh, Obama ordered to Denver uh, to Denver bar bunker by the U.S. military. So he went underground. A disturbing report prepared by General Alexei Maslov, the senior military representative, you know, sent him there. Americans of their plan to hold DEFCON 1 cock pistol maximum readiness alert drill on the 27th of September was done. So DEFCON 1 was the highest alert. So, you know, even though for theatrics they said they gave the message, this is on WikiLeaks. You should take a look. WikiLeaks. I know it's WikiStrat, but take a look at WikiLeaks. Now they alerted the church. Cardinal Brianna Maracall Mixon said... What? The Dominical Order of Christ. Who is this Brianna? Prime Cleric. I have no idea. She's the Prime Cleric of the Ecumenical Order of Christ. Hmm. And the Pontifex Maximus of the International Church of Learning. There's a church now for this uh, entity of, is he back? And she apparently received messages. Guys, it's like legit stuff. I can't read it because it's small. Let me see if I can make it. I can't. It's okay. My apologies for not answering sooner, but the meetings and the preparations have been nonstop. And this moment, the entire Templar state is busily making final adjustments. I wanted to take a moment to answer you before we go dark, meaning that for the next five days. We will be turning our systems off and insulating them for any EMP we may receive. Kid you not, this happened in 2012. Unless it's significant reason to halt this operation emergence between now and then, consider this our inside the church warning. This happened in 2012. Like, this is 
this, these, these things all happen. I don't know about these messages, uh, you know, but I can tell you that um, there were conversations about it. I'm trying to find the convo, but we can talk about it another time. The point is, um, it's all about uh, who, what, when, where, and at what point of time it would have occurred. So it's May 3rd, 2021. It's 5321. It's quite interesting. You know, yesterday I kind of had a train of thought thinking, wow, you know, someone had found that thing from February 2020. And even though I complain, you know, memory only serves you so much, right? Uh, you can remember fixed points. You can remember what you smelled, what you what what the end game was, what the solution was. But sometimes you forget the in betweens, right? The little things that happen. And I realized that um, everything that was supposed to happen is happening the way on the time schedule it should correctly, considering that I already knew from 2020, and I had stated that. And for God, I stated that, that in May 2021, Antarctica is going to be important. And we see that because Carrie's back in the picture, and that's a very important key right there. And uh, Africa is in full swing. Now, it's no longer secret. Africa is no longer secret. And that's a very big deal. Now, uh, I need to make this clear. There's a lot of misinformation and disinformation that is purposely out there on the internet. Uh, causing um, confusion. If you remember correctly, when we were uh, listening to that tidbit of how there were prophecies from Daniel and how all these leaders between his time and when Jesus was born, all these uh, kings and queens and pharaohs created the story of Jesus but weren't true. And they did that in order to psyop the community, the communities into um, believing that it was at that time, right? Uh, when they know something's going to happen, they try to take control of the narrative, right? So a lot of these fruity things that we see out there are opportunistic, a purposeful disinformation, misinformation to confuse people so they aren't able to see exactly what's there. This is why, you know, there's a method to the statements um, that that I put out, which is, you know, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Africa now. Watch it come in later. Oh, that's interesting. So-and-so went there. Oh, that's interesting. So-and-so went there. Uh, because as it gradually accumulates this knowledge and the focus to the area, you're able to see it yourself. Okay? And as I've said, it is... At the time that you're going to see the turmoil happening in the Mediterranean, when it's actually full-blown gone, you know, full-tilt boogie, as they say, is when you see the Russians come down from the north on Turkey. Now, that's going to be a really big deal because when they come down, it's full-tilt boogie at that time. And I did say the minute we see Africa, it's it's on. There is no anything to get out of that. And everyone is starting to see what Africa what is happening in Africa? Everybody's starting to see that it's getting Afrocentric. I mean, think about it. If you were an evil overlord that, you know, um, bend the knee to people that are more superior to you, 
right? Entities that are more superior to you. And your job is to control the world's population. You're going to create a center, right? The original center of where it all started. And what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that that land, those people around you are as dumb as rocks. And I don't mean that they're stupid and not intelligent, but they're purposely in the dark. Again, I've said this how many times before, why do we have a dark continent? Why is it that in 2021, the African continent that's so massive has no power or running water or food? It's done on purpose. This is how you dominate a population by making them stupid and not offering them access to technology. You keep them in the dark on purpose. So when you come in and you take over, it looks like you're liberating them when you're putting on chains that they voluntarily take on. This is how it works. It's the best tactic ever. You make your slaves think that you're their liberator. And this is exactly what we are seeing. This is why China's actions um, in Africa, uh, European actions in Africa, and then U.S. actions in Africa, right, via these crazy NGOs. Uh, all these nations are fighting over Africa. <laughs> so weird. We have so many untapped resources, and they're tapping into the African continent because they kept them dumb and greedy and still working on these tribal-level things. Like, you know, they think... If you ever go to an African nation, I've been there many times, the cultural uh, nuances are so different. Uh, people uh, that have jobs that are middle class are considered royalty, right? Middle class to, to American standards, not their standards, right? Their standards is having a hut or a roof over their head. Uh, and we're talking majority African continent. I'm not talking about like Johannesburg, you know, that are highly populated. Roof over your head, you're rich, period. But then those people that are head bankers or politicians, they have house slaves. They will kill their house slaves and no one will say anything. It is tribal level type standards when it comes to that. And that's purposeful because, because for some reason they think that they have power and companies like Google, Twitter, Microsoft, the Gates Foundation, China, tele, China Telecom, Carrefour, all of these companies that have entered and infiltrated that continent have inflated the egos of those politicians, but they don't seem to understand that by sacrificing their own people, they're only um, feeding the alligator, hoping that it eats them last. And uh, they're so, they've skipped steps into revolting against such um regimes. Whereas in the United States, as we'll examine today, uh, we have rejected it. I mean, come on. This nation is a descendant of rebels that said, no, nah, man, free people, free will, love, uh, you know, opportunities galore. And so they needed to move that center because they knew, damn, I don't know if it doesn't work in the States, we got to push this on faster. So. I want to um, show you what Iran looked like in 1976 before Peter Strzok's father and Barack Hussein Obama's mom entered the picture to install 
the uh, regime that is there now. I don't think a lot of you have seen Tehran like this. You need to see what Tehran, Iran used to look like. For those of you listening to it on a podcast, uh, let's consider it just a small music break. And I hope you guys danced a little bit. I want to explain to you what happened to Iran. Okay. What happened was the Islamic Revolution. And I want you to remember that it was Peter Strzok's father and Barack Hussein Obama's mom, Stanley Ann Dunham, that inserted themselves. This is why Peter Strzok Jr., the one with the infamous affair, went to school in Iran. They went there and they destroyed them by changing the ideology. So that was 1976 Iran, where women were wearing, you know, short mini skirts. They were out dancing. Women were working. You saw the IBMs, right? They had energy, but here's what happened. So that way you understand how big it is. Now that was one country, right? One country. I want you to think of Africa and what they're doing now. It's the same thing. So here's how it worked. In three years, the nation was under Islamic jihad, Sharia control. And that's because the powers that be decided it. Slavery with the illusion of religion, right? And this is what they did. They took them and broke them apart completely. It was exactly what happened. And Peter Strzok's father and Barack Hussein Obama's mom, Stanley Ann Dunham, were the ones that did this. So this was in one nation. It took them 24 months. In 1978, they were toast. It had started. Now, imagine how long they had to do it in Africa. And you know what happened? You saw that president, you know, going by and waving and everybody loved him. That was their Trump. He brought them, you know, all this technology and everything. Why? They had that deal. And I, you have to listen to old shows where I walked you through how they got into the nuclear energy deals with France and the United States and Russia. So what he did was he did what those African leaders are doing now in nations like the Congo and South Africa and Tanzania and Nigeria and, and all of them. What he did was he thought, well, I have the energy, I have the oil, I have the power. And it's like, dude, you never let a snake into your house. Let it populate and give you presents without knowing that one day it's going to wrap that tail around you and choke you out. And that is exactly what happened. Do you know who else was in the CIA at that time working? That's right, John Brennan. So, I, you know, everyone talks about Iran. Contra that came later because the Iranians had taken so much of a hold in the energy, uh, you know, industry that they believed that they had control, it was an illusion of power, and it came swift and it was like pulling a rug under their feet, and they toppled.
This is what they're doing to the United States. Bigger nation, more people with not as much control as they had in it on. That leader thought he had, I have the people. I have the energy. The nations around the world can't do this to me. And yet they did in Africa. This is what those stupid leaders are doing now. They think they have power over China. They think they have power over these fourth unelected branch government officials that are taking over the European Union and at the head of it. The United Nations is uh, is dominated by China. Do not underestimate a nation that has 20% of the global population. Jeez, you got to be dumb. They think that what they have now is good. It will not be there tomorrow. They should just look at it on. Look at what happened to them. And then they needed Afghanistan, the relics. Oh, those relics. Because there's places there people don't want to talk about. Places soldiers have been sent from all over the world and never came back. The poppy fields, boy. And the strategy to have that hold in order to feel like you have some buffer against China. You cannot expect to feed an alligator and just prolong your own death. That's the way it is. They're feeding the monster, hoping it eats them last because they're going to be eaten regardless. So this is how you topple governments. By giving them and acknowledging you have power. By boasting them and putting it down. Three years is all it took to take down it all. They've been working on us for over 50. Over 50. Over 50. So it goes down to what... Uh, the anatomy of a revolution would be. There's four phases. It's actually been broken down. Phase one is the preliminary stage, right? The older order kind of working in there, right? The old gods. So the economically weak, right? Politically weak, intellectual desert, class antagonism, right? So this we already had in the 1900s, right? The old order, where the Democrats decided to pretend that there was a switch. Remember that? So uh, the government was weak, right? It had a lot of deficits and, and had to tax people, had to take their money. So what did it do? Ah, yes, indeed. It created the Federal Reserve, okay? And so it was politically weak. Their voice was dumb. Americans were like, what is this? No. So they toppled them economically. Their voice was gone. That was the old guard, the first OG of that lot from 1798 that organized, all right, that organized. They were ushered out with the Federal Reserve because the reformers were speaking out against the government on what was happening, on innovation, on control. And then there was conflict between the old school dudes and the new school dudes. The whole, you know, we want slaves. No, we don't. Uh, we need to bring it better. So then we got the moderate regime, you know, so we've got the Eisenhower coming in and all this. There was a financial breakdown, right? But there were big events like world wars, government protests, 
rallying, you know, all this stuff happens. And then there's a role of force where the government cannot repress any rebellion. So they submit and they give, you know, this power back to the people, supposedly. And then they create something of what is a dual sovereignty. It's a more obeying government. It's a little bit more organized, right? And the moderates try to reform things to make a new constitution-ish kind of thing. They go out and do wars, right? So they fix the whole, oh, women are a problem. They can't vote, so let's fix that. Oh, we have slaves. Let's, let's give them that too. And cue music. Step three comes in, right? At that time. So we have radicals taking control, right? Radicals are taking control, and we've seen that. They're small little factions. They're disciplined. This is textbooks of it. There's actually a textbook called The Anatomy of a Revolution, okay? Then they centralize their power, you know? They take some strong person to control it. This is where we're at, right? Terror is used in virtue, so you conform or you're punished, and they have like their own gospels of how we should be operating. This is where we are at right now, right? From stage three, we've moved over to stage four, which is the five. There is no step five, no step five. It's called the Thermidorian reaction. It's like slow, it's quieter-ish times. That was like in the 2000s, right? Post 9-11, right? That's where you're, you know, you're, you're kind of coming on to fever of a revolution. You're ruled by a tyrant. You got the Obama, right? In radicals have been repressed in a way. They've been appeased in a way. And, um, you know, uh, moderates are gaining some amnesty. And then there's aggressive nationalism. That is what they call the recovery phase for the revolution, Right. So we have gone through that cycle a few times, squashing the repeat, hoping that there's a step five. As we can see, there is very aggressive nationalism now. As you could see, we're at that place right now. There is no step five. We are not going through this cycle again. Because in order to start this cycle again, they must what? Take it back to phase one, which is make us economically pol and politically weak. There's going to be a dry spell of intellectuals and there'll be class antagonism. This is what they're feeding us now because we're overlapping to start the cycle of phase one through four again. But what they want to do is take phase one and bring it to a phase five by integrating uh, elements of phase one, phase two, and phase three. They're trying to change it. They are trying to force us into a revolution. Well, we are in a revolution. This is one of the most civilized civil wars. But in order to understand that better, um, I think it's important that we can visit, uh, you know, how revolutions happened before. You know, the important thing here right now is freedom, right? Freedom is to be allowed to be who you really want to be or are to be, right? But in our society, you trade your reality or what you want to play a role in society.
You trade in your senses and your gut, right, for an act. You have given up any ability to feel, right? And in exchange, you just put on this fake persona to just play your role in society. The only way, and this is what's different, and this is why we will disallow them from creating this step five. The only way that there can be an actual revolution, not an anatomy of a cyclical repeating regime revolution, but an actual revolution is when it's a personal one on an individual level. It's got to happen from the inside where your gut wakes up and people wake up and they're like, wait a minute, this isn't working. Wait a minute, what's going on? Wait a minute, because I'm pretty sure that a lot of you would rather die fighting for freedom rather than be a prisoner for the rest of your lives. And what's important to understand is the greatest and most powerful and most impactful revolutions in history start in hidden, quiet areas, hidden in the shadows. People need to remember that. Because revolutions, both good and bad, simmer for a very long time before they come to the surface. And what you see is that they are bringing to you a revolution, their own kind. But we always have to remember, and I think it was Roosevelt that said it, that all of us in the United States have descended from immigrants and revolutionists. So it's important to remember the source of everything and how it happens. A revolution is inevitable. But is it one that you will create on your terms and cease it at phase four? Or are you going to let them do a step five? There is no phase five. You're not going to invent it. It's either going to go full circle boogie again from phase one through four, because that's the way it is, or it finishes right then and there. And it's at this point where they have put us through that cycle of one through four so many times throughout this nation's history. Imagine, right? We've been around for less than 300 years and we've been through this cycle. That people have been awakened from this. That people are starting to understand and realizing the power that they have. And that they are few and you are many. We need to understand that. This, as many, many times as I have said, is actual war. And it's so hard to put it out. You know, there's a lot of people talking about the new normal, right? And all of us sat there because these are the seven, see, there's seven stages in a revolution, seven stages, not the phases, the stages of the active phase for completion, right? You've got your normal period. That's where it's normal. Life is normal. You have, there's a regime in power that supposedly became to power because of the traditional ways we do it, which is elections, right? So we had a regime, right? And it was done. But then something happened. The regime was being criticized. We had President Trump step up and criticize the existing regime, which was the Obama administration, the previous ones. And intellectuals began to publicly criticize that regime in power. And they did this through articles, through speaking, through writing, through court cases, right? It was common sense 
but it was criticism, criticism. So that was the second stage. So while President Trump arose, we were di- we were in that normal phase, right? That, oh, life is normal, right? Normal with a few hiccups, of course, of disgusting actions, terrorist attacks, mass shootings, mass bombings, illegal immigration rampant, but it was normal for you. And no stood up a lion among the sheep and said no more. And he criticized and everyone else got courage to criticize and they wrote pieces and spoke against him. And that's what happened. And there was widespread dissatisfaction. And while President Trump was in control of the United States, ah, not completely, because obviously alligators were everywhere. It was like the floor was lava for him wherever he'd go. This was the stage where people started to join in on the criticism and the movement. And we saw this polarization. So a large portion of the population, that's 120 million strong, jumped on the bandwagon to say, you know, this hasn't been working for a while. I mean, you know, I'd like to go back to normal, but with this COVID stuff and your, you know, dictator, I don't know. This is not, this is not good. And these elections don't smell right. And, 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 and I don't like this. So a lot of people happen. And what we noticed was with the exit from the approved global scene, there was a transfer of power. But there were two types of power that were transferred, right? Remember, in the Declaration of Independence, it declared that the colonies were independent and put the founding fathers in power. Now, you have to think, we have two transfers of power, and we've segregated it. The power of the people and the power of the global establishment. So the people have now received that power from the former president, supposedly the only president, the only elected by the people president of the United States. Now that power has transferred to them. He has empowered the people to be critical and to understand how this is going. That's stage four. Stage five in this breakdown of the actual happenings is the civil war. It is a war between the global establishment and the new regime, which is you. The people of the old regime don't want the revolution, and the new regime wants the power and wants the change. You want the power, you want the change. And the problem with the global establishment people, like the Pelosi's, the Schiff's, the Biden's, the Harris's, the puppets that they placed there for Izzy back, right? Realize that they created a monster by allowing these radicalized UN spurted out Uh, factions like AOC that they need to appease to fight the new regime, which is the regime of the people. The people are fine to not have what they acknowledge as a leader, but boy, do they have it. So before we get into step six and seven, I think it's important for people to understand that even though they remove Trump, he has all the power all the power of the Republican Party. And if you remember, last year I said, 
Do not donate to any organization like the RNC, RNCC, or GOP. You give that money directly to the person that you support. Now, while everyone talks about 2024, considering we're at stage five of seven, and five is going to come to a climax within the next 45 days, and how that's going to climax, you'll see how it dovetails step six. But to understand the gravity of what I am trying to express to you, it is important that you listen to this clip by Newsmax talking about how Trump does have the power of the Republican Party. And keep in mind, the Republican Party has served the people throughout history, but has been self-serving for the past two decades, giving us a bone every now and then, supposedly standing for the values we stand for, which is America first. Our people first. We welcome immigrants that want to add to our society. We want to grow. We want to be competitive. We want sprinklers on the streets and kids riding their bikes without, you know, seeing some person snatch them up and take them across the border. We want to just live in harmony ourselves. And that's it. Now, that's considered a bad thing when you want to put up your borders and just exist. Because you're not playing with everyone else. But when everyone else is on board with an agenda of eradicating what you want and giving you direction and chains to what well, this is best for the greater good so we can control you, it's better. Trust us. Change is good. Are you starting to see those messages? How they're telling you change is good. Trust us. But the power is now in your hands. Remember, according to the world, President Trump is no longer president. Yet he has the power of the people behind him. Nobody else does. We'll get to step six and seven and reevaluate five right after this clip. Listen carefully. Someday, they're going to get smart. They're going to endorse President Trump. Because if you had Sleepy Joe, then nobody's going to be interested in politics anymore. That's going to be the end of that. Well, the 46th president may be in office, but that's not stopping the 45th. Within the past month, former President Trump has been hinting that MAGA rallies could make their comeback. Take a listen. Will we ever be able to attend another Trump rally? Oh, yeah, sure. I think so. <laughs> just, in fact, we're thinking about doing one relatively soon just to... And let everybody know that uh, there's hope in the future. So with Trump back on the road, does this confirm his run in 2024? So let's bring in our first guest of the second hour, Emmy award-winning television host, New York Times bestselling author of Wake Up America and host of the Bowling and Favre podcast, Eric Bowling. So Eric, many reports such as this one from the National Review are saying that Trump will most likely begin holding rallies as soon as this month. So I want to ask you, what do you think the role President Trump will play over the next couple of months? Well, first of all, Alex, thanks for having me on, um, and especially the number five, if you get what I mean. You know, <laughs> it's always fun trolling Fox that way. Um, I think he should do these rallies. I've spoken to a lot of people surrounding 
Trump, the president, I've spoken to him, but not about this and, and the people surrounding Trump about this. And, and I believe this is going to happen. I'm not sure the timing on it. Frankly, I'm surprised it hasn't happened prior to this, not because I think it indicates he's going to run in 2024, because I think it, it, he has a massive following, as we all know, as many viewers here are, are love the guy. I want to see it. We loved his presence on those stages. It gave him also a ton of energy. It was just like filling his tank when he'd do the rallies. But I think more importantly, what he will do, he'll solidify him as the kingmaker in 2022 and maybe 2024. Here's how. He'll go to places like Alaska and go probably do rallies that won't be very friendly to Lisa Murkowski, the senator there who Trump blatantly does not like has been vocal about saying he would rather have her replaced or he'll go to Liz Cheney's Wyoming district and do maybe do a rally there. And, and you know, he, we all know he doesn't like Liz Cheney. I'm in South Carolina. He may do one here because he has some issues with uh, uh, um, uh, the, the guy in South Carolina, seven Myrtle Beach, who went against or voted to have Trump impeached. I, I would Bet that this guy will run into a rally at some point. Maybe Nancy Mason, South Carolina won both Republicans. These are Republicans. Sure. So he will be, he'll continue to have that power. I mean, I think that's his real power going, or at least over the next year and a half, going into the 2022 election is, is being the kingmaker on the right. And then when, you know, he sees how's, how it goes from there. And if, if the groundswell continues, then maybe he does make a run at 24. I mean, you're exactly right, because, for example, just this morning, former President Trump put out a statement endorsing Susan Wright in the state of Texas. And he states, quote, today is Election Day in Texas. Go out and vote for Susan Wright. She will be strong on the border, crime, pro-life, our brave military and vets, and will always protect your Second Amendment. She will never let you down. Vote today. Now, I mean, this is back to his typical statements that he was doing back in the midterms uh, prior, back in the election as well. Do you think that, for example, to your point, saying he's the kingmaker, that at the end of the day, the Trump endorsement is more than any policy that these people are putting forward? Yeah, look, it's invaluable to someone who's trying to become an elected official on the right right now. It's a, it's a tall order right now because there's, you know, there's all this anti-right sentiment going on within the, the, the liberal Democrat Party. And so for a Republican to win, to be the Democrat, okay, you have to have unity behind the Republican side. And that unity requires Trump's endorsement. That's why there's a parade, a parade of people going down to Mar-a-Lago just to get the endorsement, because you have to show unity on the right or you're going to lose handily against the general election against the Democrats. So you really, really need that. That's why these people who turn their back on Trump and, and, and aren't making their way to Mar-a-Lago and, and, and apologize, they should be. And I'll give you another example. Nikki Haley is a friend of mine. I know Trump world doesn't love Nikki Haley. She's a personal friend of mine. I think she's trying to at least make amends with President Trump. I can't say I know that for sure, but I think she's trying because she came out a little hard against him. You know, the question is, will he embrace her for whatever she wants to do? I'm not sure if she wants to run in 2024 herself, but whoever wants to run in 22 or 24, you better have the the, the blessing of the guy in Mar-a-Lago or you have a hell, you know, snowball's chance in hell of, of beating a Democrat and maybe not even becoming the nominee on the right. And using Nikki Haley as an example, she even walked back some of those comments saying that she would yeah. not run this past week if President Trump were to run once again. But Smart move. Smart move on her part, because even if she does run and Trump runs, it's a bad idea to, to do it, to say that now. If you say, I'm going to run even if he runs, then you will not raise any money because any donor has to, has to know, why would I put money behind a candidate that's going to run against the guy who it who likely will win, I believe he would win as the nominee, but even if he doesn't win, he will ruin the, your chances of winning because you disrespected him because you 
you stabbed him in the back. It's a very important thing. When, when there was, I'll tell you a story. I think everyone at Newsmax knows this. I, I, I was considering running for Congress right here in South Carolina. One, it's a, it's a Republican held seat. Nancy Mace is a Republican. She kind of turned her back on Trump after she got elected, after he helped her get elected by being very supportive of her, of her campaign. He's, he was upset. I was hearing, I was hearing from people in South Carolina, big operatives. The way politics works is in the, at the state level, representatives and senators, all the way up through national representatives and senators, et cetera. You, you, they're operatives. I was getting calls from operatives within South Carolina saying, run against Nancy Mace. She doesn't have the support of President Trump, whether she did or not. I don't know, but she, at the time, it's, they said she didn't. But what I needed to do was to go down and talk to Trump about it. I had a conversation with everyone involved, and I decided not to do it. It just wasn't the time for personal reasons. My wife and I just have issues that we're working through with uh, the loss of a son, so it wasn't the time to do it. But the point was, everyone realized on every level of government, at least on the right, that if you want to be the, the nominee and if you want to win in a general election, you can't do it without Trump. So all these people who voted to impeach Trump or these people who pushed back on Trump, Adam Kinzinger in, in Illinois, I'd mm-hmm. go right after that guy. I'd go replace Adam Kinzinger. That would be my first stop. Go to Chicago and re- get, get Adam Kinzinger out of the Republican nomination. Yeah. And I mean, so far, Trump has endorsed 16 candidates in the 2022 election cycle. Uh, our viewers are looking at them at their screen right now. But Nancy Mace, to your point that you said before, I mean, a lot of people said that she was a rising star in the Republican Party. And then after she won her election, she seemed willing to turn the page on the Trump era. And I think a lot of conservatives right now would say the same thing about Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell or even maybe Minority Leader uh, McCarthy as well. I mean, he re- was really pushing uh, Senator Tim Scott after his speech this week. So do you think that there is a part of the Republican Party, maybe Republican leadership in particular that is willing to turn the page. So it, it, interesting dynamic going on here when a senator, don't forget they have six year terms, mm-hmm. they don't come up for re-election. So, you know, Lindsey Graham can go both either way on, on support for Trump and he doesn't have to worry about it for another five and a half years. Mitch McConnell is entrenched. He doesn't have to worry about it. But a, a, a Republican um, representative like um, Kevin McCarthy has issues to worry about every two years. So he really has this dance. He's the minority leader in the House, so he's got to can't be too aggressive against Liz Cheney, but Trump no, Trump wants Liz Cheney out. And so there's this dance, these ty- this tightrope dance for these people who don't want to go all in on, or, you know, in the Trump camp, but still don't want to alienate the guy that could absolutely sink their opportunity every two years if you're a representative or every six years as you, if you're a senator. You notice these senators, as they get close to an election, get really friendly with Trump mm-hmm. because they're not not—they're extremely worried. Once they win, then they kick back a little bit and they do what the heck they want. It, you know what? The bottom line, one of the books I wrote, New York Times bestseller, was not, not only Wake Up America, but The Swamp. Sure. It is a swamp. DC is a swamp. It's disgusting. It's all about getting themselves reelected, getting that largesse, getting yeah. our tax dollars, make sure that gravy train keeps going it, for them. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why people voted for President Trump in 2016 to drain that very issue that you're talking about right there. But Eric Bowling, I really That's why I wrote the book. Yeah, no, you, you got to plug the book. Uh, but Eric, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Oh, it's good to see you, Alex. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please join the conversation in the comments below. Don't forget to subscribe. So as you see, President Trump has the power. Why? Because he represents a united voice of the people. Now, here's where I want to take you. 
So we said that there's four phases. That's how it was laid out by a textbook. It's actually called the anatomy of a revolution. Um, and it's, it was written by Crane Britain, uh, over a hundred years ago, if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head. Uh, and it was, uh, it was pretty good, but not concise. Because within those four phases, which they want to make a step five, there shouldn't be, there are seven to eight. Now, as I explained, the Civil War is the war between the woke, the real awakening of the people, the actual power, and then the old guard that doesn't want a revolution, but they want to take over, right? Usually, when the war happens and they win, there is a reign of terror. And so the most incredible thing about war and revolutions in general is to be able to do it on your own terms. Kind of like where the New York Times quoted me. Oh, she said, you want a reset? All right, we'll give you a reset on our terms, right? We'll eliminate you. <laughs> they wanted to make it sound like a threat. But what we were saying is, we're disappointing all of you, disappointing, removing you, right? We are taking you out of power, right? And how do we do this? How do we win this? Because this has happened many, many times before. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, a lot of trial and error went into this one. What we had to do was give the people the illusion that a war has been lost. But think, in war and in changes of regime where the old guard or those that wish to rule the people as they wish, there is a reign of terror. The winner of any war usually uses violence and terror to gain order and control, to create order out of chaos. They invent the chaos. And then they use an iron fist to control the dissenters. Now, they say that back then with the American Revolution, there was no real reign of terror. Though the colonists, in fact, did tar and feather people and kill loyalists to the king, right? And, you know, they attacked people. So there are issues like that. But as you can see, we are currently living through a reign of terror, of war, spoils, of the establishment, the global establishment. But, unfortunately, they can't tar and feather us yet. They can't kill us yet. They can't do anything really yet because they're not really in control. In fact, we are given the illusion that they have control right? That they have control, but they do not because we are in control. We harness that power. We have it. And this is why we, the people are saying there is no step five. There is no phase five. It stopped here. We are not recycling this. You are not starting this all over until you rinse and repeat to get the shiny, you know, toy that you want to present to your overlords, right? This isn't how it's going to happen. It's going to happen on our terms. And this is now where we get into the Thermidorian reaction, where it's a period of recovery. It's not happening yet. 
It's going to happen right after the fever of the revolution comes. And boy, eyes on Arizona. Boy, eyes on Brennan. Boy, eyes on the hunters. <laughs> Dude, when we hunt them, damn. And obviously it's been a little bit chaotic for me personally so that I can put this out. But wait till you see what I have in store for you. Like we were saying yesterday with Millie, kind of excited that they rated Rudy Giuliani. You know, kind of sounds like it was a setup. Kind of sounds like, yeah, come on and get it. Because we wanted to make it look like a reign of terror like no other. So that people do not forget. I mean, why did Eisenhower take people down to see what happened in Auschwitz? You know what's really messed up? Do you know, listen to this. This is this is how messed up Europeans are. Did you know that um, in uh, Europe, there's a soap that's called FA, kid you not, F-A, right? Which stands for from Auschwitz. I kid you not. That's how disgusting they've utilized it to pacify people and joke about it. I'm not kidding. It's called FA. I am not kidding. But everyone saw what happened in Auschwitz or what remains from it or how they had concentration or how they killed because there's a lot of conflicting things. They were all put in camps. They were all collected, but we're never going to know the truth. We just know that something big happened and there was something very evil that was happening, which was the takeover of nations. And a lot of people died and there was a lot of discrimination. We do know that, right? We do know that. But what Eisenhower tried to do was show people so they don't forget. But look at us forgetting already. I mean, we forgot that the UN had put out an ambassador for aliens. We forgot that on WikiLeaks that stuff is already dropped. We forgot everything that happened yesterday or last week or a year ago. Because Hillary Clinton said it best. We rely on their bad memories because people forget. And that's exactly what they bank on that you forget again and again and again. So right now, as we are going through this reign of terror in this final stage, this phase four of their reset, it's going to be on our terms. We're going to be the ones that are taking control of it because you can't forget something that you learned over a period of time. It didn't just catch you by surprise, right? And impact you sort of, kind of, and ingredients across the nation. It came up little by little by little by little. And a lot of people pointing out, boy, that's really similar to what happened in 1918. Race wars, dang, happened at the same place that Chaz was at. What a coincidence. Wait a minute. Didn't they have mask Nazis? You know, back then with the Spanish flu, dang, didn't they like have all this propaganda with all the masks and the stupid gauze that you'd wear on your face and the social distancing and people calling it out as something stupid? Dang, looks really, really familiar. Kind of looks like we're going through a cycle wash. Looks like 1918 was the end of phase four for that cycle. You see? Cycle. Rinse and repeat until you get the outcome you want. I mean, it even tells you that on your shampoo bottle.
Rinse and repeat according to your preference. And they've been rinsing and repeating every single time, adding new stuff to tweak their results. And here we are, rinsing and repeating. Revolution. That's what it is. It is a revolution. And you know, a lot of people talk about revolutions, right? But not a lot of people talk about what happens before a revolution. Like what was going on before the revolution? How was it, you know, how was the environment? What was going on? Well, a lot of people were upset. They didn't have homes and uh, you know, they, they, there was no money, the stock market crashed and people didn't have jobs and everyone was really, really upset, you know? And then, you know, they were very bad against minorities. There were riots and it's like, shit, kind of sounds like the same thing here. So weird. So weird. Let's look at another video of the Middle East before the Islamic revolution. And why am I saying the Islamic revolution? So if you go back in history, you'll see that the pharaohs and all these other kings, even Cleopatra, to cause their citizens to submit, they used to put masks over their faces, cover the nose and mouth, simply the eyes for them to see. And for some reason that was indoctrinated into the Islam religion, which if you ask me, from what I've seen, and I may be wrong and I, and I don't mean to offend my Muslim listeners, I respect everyone's religion, even the Pastafarians. I may not agree with it. My Catholics too. I may not agree with it. Or I it may not resonate with me, but I'm game. If you're happy and it speaks to you, more power to you. But I do have to point out that for some reason, the same tactics that were being used by leaders for eons to create a submissive population were implemented. Now, was that tweaked after the word of Muhammad? Was it tweaked by Muhammad? Was Muhammad created and manufactured just at the right time that the Catholic Church wanted to weaponize religion to force people to wear hijabs and, you know, face coverings? I want you to watch this video of a before and after Islamic revolution. It's very, very important. This will show a lot of nations. And... Um, hopefully there's audio on this one. I don't remember. Um, but it's quite fascinating. So I'm really hoping there's audio. If not, I'll do some, you know, I'll describe a few things because it's going to show uh, the, it'll show you a point where the Egyptian prime minister, when they were told, are you going to make people wear the hijab? He laughed. <laughs> no one's laughing right now. I'm just saying, right? This is how it went very quickly. Remember, this was done very quickly. It's your faith, your patriotism, and those few in actual power that are delaying their ability to bring it to full fruition. Because we've given them the impression that, here, take the battle. Because we've actually already won the war. I hope you can see that. Tonight, the Prime Minister raised the terror threat level in Britain to critical. That means another attack is considered imminent. So this is the ship they say is unsinkable. It so, is unsinkable. So. God himself could not sink this ship. Wow, look at Afghanistan. No hijabs, miniskirts, dancing, laughing. 
Look at that. Women in power, working, going to college. Looks amazing, right? Sounds great. Look at them. They're showing their ankles. Mini skirts. Look at them. Kind of looks like the United States in the 70s, doesn't it? Look, women graduating college, serving in the military. Here's it on now again. Ferris wheels with women. No coverings. No burkas. Look at them. Platforms, heels, TVs. Women scientists working in the media rooms, in energy divisions, going to college, wearing jeans and pants. Look at that. This is what they were like in the 70s. And it instantly changed because they allowed it. The leaders allowed it because they thought they were smarter than the others. But remember, we're the leaders here. Look at Egypt in the 1960s. She's wearing a thing over her head for the wind. I still do that. Look at them. Women playing golf in the 60s. Look at this. This is, look at all these women out there. Look at how much they love their leaders. I met with the head of the Muslim Brotherhood and he sat with me and made his request. What did he request? The first thing he asked for was to make wearing a hijab mandatory in Egypt and demand that every woman walking in the street wearing a tarha. And they all laughed. That was in 1958. Every woman walking, he said. Let him wear it, they said. And they laughed. They laughed. And he said, in my opinion, is that every person in his own house decides for himself the rules. And he replied, no, as the leader, you are responsible. I told him, Sir, you have a daughter in the school of medicine, and she's not wearing a tarha. Why didn't you make her wear a tarha? If you, and everyone clapped, if you're unable to make one wear, if you're unable to make one girl who is your daughter wear the tarha, you want me to put a tarha on 10 million women myself? Look, they were mocking it. Look at Libya. Look at that, guys. Where are all the brave leaders now? We only have one. All of them around the world have submitted to some higher power. Where are they? That's Libya. Look at Somalia in the 80s. Girls in school, no pirates. Well, we had pirates, but Ilhan Omar ran from this, right? Look at that. Women working, Central Bank of... Look at them dancing. Now, they would never dress like that, ever. This used to be Somalia, guys. This used to be Somalia. Do you see how this happens? Now I'm going to tell you one of the biggest strategies of war they did. And look at it after the Islamic Revolution. Look. Look at them. You need to see the contrast. You saw all that. It happened within years, months, months. And first, they took out the energy. They took out the powers that had energy. They took them out strategic geopolitical positions they took them out 
They impose Sharia. Look at that. Look at what they're doing. Flogging people in public. Look at the women. Look at the women. The change. They kill their own people. They enslave their own people under religion. What the Catholic Church, what the Vatican, let's separate the two. What the Vatican wanted to do and couldn't succeed. You see that? The COVID masks are only one form of submission. Religion doesn't work in our nation, but fear does. Half of Iran wants to drop headscarf laws, and they're being killed for this, aren't they? They're wearing burqas now. This happened instantly. From 1976 to 1978, Iran had changed completely. Look at Egypt in 1950. Look at it later. Look at them. This is how they're changing our nation. Look at them executing people because they decided to be the people of the cross. They didn't believe in that and they executed them publicly so that everyone can see. This is the reign of terror. You can see the cycle finish. They actually won. This is where we're at, the precipice. This is where we are at. Look at that. Look at them. They're going to execute them. Look at the people that are just doing their job. Those people are just doing their job, like the Karens tell you. They're just doing their job. They laid them down. A Muslim living in Somalia called into the show of Christian Prince, who lives in the USA. But the people, okay. but the people as no. well to go behind them, that's we hate listen, you guys listen, so listen, much. Listen, no, no, no. If the people, they are with you, why they are taking the American as a friend? No, the government is taking America as friends. Okay, but what about the people? There's no government if there's no people. Listen, you guys, you guys are so blind. When we come to your countries, we are not coming because we are friends. In our hearts, in our houses, we talk about you guys like you are our biggest enemies. Allah says in the Quran that the Christians and the Jews are your enemies. If you come to our country and destroy our country, we will come to yours and we will destroy your country. You don't understand that. So are you planning to come to America and do like a terrorist attack? I don't have to plan anything. My people are already there. Oh, okay. Well, let them try. We, and, oh, we are not going to attack. We know what we're going to do. We're going to get into your government. That's what we're going to do. Oh, okay. And, and look around who you elected. You elected a Somalian woman as your uh, one of your senators, one of one of your ministers. You got to say dumb in America, Allah. I agree with you. You're right. And look, eighty-five percent in Minnesota of Somalians. Eighty-five percent. Soon it will not even be eighty-five. It will be one hundred percent. Allah, inshallah, it will be one hundred. And that's what will happen when it become one hundred. Hmm. What will happen? They will bring us over. They will bring us over, inshallah. And not only will we come over, we will come to take over your whole country, inshallah. Look at Somalia now. These soldiers are here to enforce God's words when he says we should enjoin good. We've managed to put a stop to this belief and are now calling people to do good, of which praying is the best of all good deeds. Where men are publicly punished if they do not comply with the call to prayer, and women are forced to wear the veil, a dress that's historically alien to them. You see that? weaponizing religion i know my catholic peeps hate me but they tried it and they were successful back in the day weaponizing christianity you think they didn't invent another weaponization of a religion for control do you see how far ahead they thought do you see that look at that they destroyed 
antiquities from 700 BC, look at them with sledgehammers to erase history. You cannot let people see the great things that they have done. It's terrible. And they said themselves, we will force the religion on others. We will force submission. Look at that. Thousands of years of history destroyed. So when you see the monuments being teared down in America, you're surprised. This is how it happens. I've been saying this. History repeats itself. I've been here so many times before. This has been an endless cycle. And they created the most ultimate weaponization to control energy. Look at this. In August 2017, CNN got this footage of migrants being bought and sold in Libya. It is time we wake up because weaponization of religion has happened for eons. This is how you control people because they believe in God, right? So you give them the God you want them to believe in. You give them what what they believe is the ultimate. And in the United States, they have been tearing away God and replacing it with cultural ideologies. You are not allowed to speak of religion. They, we are the only nation that had separated church and state. And that's a good thing. Many people say, oh, we are one nation under God. Yes, we are, but we will never give any religion any religion power of the state because then that happens do you see we can be a faithful nation but the minute you give control to any religion no matter how good it is the people that will be speaking for that religion are the one that are the problem because they can reinvent it you're seeing the pope doing it live for the past all the popes doing it live for what decades now they created a religion because this is how they tap into that need for meaningfulness. And because the United States praises itself on being different, a melting pot of religions, we ensured, damn, those founding fathers were geniuses, weren't they now? We are one nation under God, but we will never. In the name of God, rule a nation again. Why? Because this is how they weaponize it. Did you see how quick under God they eradicated the most powerful geostrategic locations on the planet? Hmm? Do you see that? Do you see how quickly they made people submit? Did you see how they eradicated their history so nobody remembers? This is how you enslave a population. Remember, that was the conversation that the leaders of the Christian church had. When the Romans said, we don't want people to just love God and do this. We need to edit the Bible. And we're going to have a representative of Jesus because the Pope speaks for God. And our priests won't have sex with anyone. They'll abstain from everything. Well, kids, you know, they forget. Where else do we hear that? Oh, that's right. In the Muslim religion. That the clerics can have sex with children because they'll forget. Ah, uh, same thing here. I know my Catholics hate me. 
But every single religion is weaponized, every single one. Every single, there's not one religion that hasn't been weaponized by a leader when implemented. Because it's not the religion that's vicious, unless you manufacture it like the Romans did, to ensure complete annihilation. You gotta look at the history. I know there's a lot of tales, but there's actual history. Religion, when implemented as law by people, destroys the very foundations of any religion. Could you imagine if Buddhists decided to make Buddhism law? Dang. Talk about tyranny, right? But it's one of love. Dang. You're not allowed to eat. You need to meditate 24 hours. You're not whip, 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 stone, 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 death, death, death. That's what they do. They will beat you into submission. They said it. We will force people to be submissive to the religion. So whatever religion it is, I don't care how good it is. My religion, your religion, whatever it is. If it is executed and implemented by a human, it will always be weaponized. Religion is one that you have in your heart. Religion is inside of you. And it is your inner guidance, your ability, your spiritual belief and satisfaction. What resonates for me may not resonate for you. So what? I'm going to force you to resonate my way? That's not how it goes. And again, the genius of our forefathers was actually making sure that they separated the two. Because religion is personal. That is actually your freedom. Your thoughts, your heart, your mind, your soul, your speech is all founded on your inner belief system. That is the ultimate freedom of speech. What you're like, you might think that God is a nice cat or, you know, grumpy cat, for example. You might think that. You might think it's a, a whale. You might think it's a it's an alien. You might think it's, you know, Johnny Five, which is currently in Queens on 44th and 31st. You might think all these things. I'm not one to sit there and judge you for it because if you can contribute to society in peace, respecting my right to believe whatever I want, then it's all good. You see... This is where we're at. We're at that part. We're just like Egypt. They were laughing. What? You want me to put like a job on 10 million women, but you're not forcing your daughter to do it? He said to the Muslim Brotherhood, look at Egypt now. Look at Afghanistan, how awesome and budding they were. Iran, Iraq, all of them. But you must rule with an iron fist. And in order to do so, you must make them fear. That is the reign of terror. That's how you close a cycle with a reign of terror. Until there's a peaceful period and we start again at cycle one where we kill the economy and start it all over again. So it's really, really important for people to understand where we are as a nation, where we are as a planet, right? You want to call a planet Taurus, right? This is where we are. That was the ultimate game plan. Look how far ahead they thought. Think, when did they create what religions? How many forks and different versions of Christianity are there? 
got Pentecost, Lutheran, Protestant, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, historical Christian, Orthodox Jews, non-Orthodox Jews, Jews like this, Jews like that, Judaism, Christo-Judaism. We've got so many, so many. It's because they all wanted to change it to make it accustomed to the people that they wanted to dominate rather than allow it to be within the inside of every single person. So religion is coming into focus, and I say this why. Now, we are in a nation that is known for religion, but we do know that those evangelist church have a lot of pull. And does that mean that they speak for Protestants and Lutherans and, you know, Jehovah Witnesses and Orthodox and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Taoists and Pastafarians? No, they don't. So what is it that they will unite you under? Well, it's causes. See, when they can't use religion against someone, they'll use a cause. And so the next cause, first, it's safety, right? But that's wearing out. My body, my choice. I'd rather die than take your vaccine or put on a mask. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. A lot of people, you'll realize, are very conditioned to be enslaved, to be in chains, to follow and never lead, and to be told what to think. I have a lot of people that you know, will tell me the Bible says, well, what does it say to you? Don't tell me what you were told it says. When you read it, what does it say to you? The Quran says, well, what does the Quran say to you? Not what someone told you it says. What does it speak to you? Does it speak to you? Does it resonate? Because if you actually read all scriptures objectively, without criticism, because you have to think of the time that they were wrote, that they were written, right? Things were different. They're going to weaponize religion. So it's important you stand strong in your faith. Have faith in yourself. Pray. Have faith in humanity. Because it's really important we do this. This is the precipice. This is how they take it down. This is that cycle. They're going to come after the Christians. They're already doing it. Because Christians don't feel that they need to impose their religion. They've actually gone through that radicalization phase, you know, when they were whipping themselves back in the, um, you know, what, 14th, 13th, 14th century. Um, and before that, Christians are one of love. Christians say, well, you know, if that floats your boat, I pray that you find salvation. It's really important that we understand how they weaponize it. And my church's leaders are off their rocker too. I don't agree with my leaders in the church at all, at all. Who are they to recommend how we should live our lives in regards to um, taking the vaccine? But it has fetal cells. Yeah, so that's just a small thing. God will forgive us because we need that. What? I'm sorry, what? So religion is a very big thing and they'll play on it. You know, maybe they'll start a new one with aliens. Who knows, right? <laughs> because the innate necessity of people to feel like they have a purpose, to understand their origin and their destination is ingrained within us because we know we don't belong here and we're always seeking the truth and we believe in a greater good because that is true. You don't belong here. You're chained in flesh and, and blood. 
and they weaponize that need. So everyone needs to remember that, you know, whoever your creator is, you see it, your God, they created you. Why would they destroy you? They created you. Why would they hate you? They love you. And the more hurt you are because you've done it yourself, the more love they will give you. It's like a parent. Your most, you know, your child that fails all the time, that needs more help, you can't help but show more love to it, right? And then, you know, the good kid is like, oh, you don't care about me because, you know, because you're showing more love to the other. It's kind of like the prodigal son story, right? So remember to find your still, keep strong in your faith because we're at phase four and they want to invent phase five rather than cycle it out. They want permanency. So if we were to take those four phases and dissect them into seven, we're at the part where we're having a faux reign of terror to just show us what is to come if we do not utilize the power, the transfer of power that we receive from this four-year civil war. And you're going to say, we didn't see a war. Oh, yes, we did. The civil war within this revolution happened during the four years of President Trump. This is where people started to wake up, where things were being pointed out, where they committed the most atrocities, where they stole our elections face right in front of us and said, ha, what are you going to do about it? where they parade around all their crimes and are like, what are you going to do about it? Where they say things like, we're doing this. What are you going to do about it? That was our civil war. We're at the tail end now. We're at the part where they're supposed to give us a reign of terror. And it's up to us to decide. Will we accept or say, wait a minute, you don't really have power to do that. So you're fired. And that's what we can do. This is happening globally. And globally, we'll see that nations like ours that do not have an official religion, not an official religion, are in that limbo place. Wait a minute, can the government really do that? I don't think so. Let's fight back. And then they fight back and then they get smacked down. They're like, wait a minute, we'll come back stronger. And they come back up. This is it. Every nation has their own group of leaders. We're seeing it in nations like even England. They have a queen and look at them. They're at it. Look at the French. Like, what's up? Like, what? That's what's up. I didn't expect the French to be like, yo, the Canadians, they know they have a queen. They know they're screwed. They're like super prime socialist nation, but they're actually trying to fight back. And everyone right now is realizing just how mesmerized and not smart a lot of people are. People with what you would consider smart with an education and higher degrees. People are realizing that their system doesn't work. We don't have a judiciary system. We don't have a legislative branch and definitely don't have an executive one right now. So who's really running the show? Faith. And from that, draw strength. That in the end, the transfer of power happened during the Civil War and the power came to your hands. And it's about time you yield that power and you point that out to those around you. Because if anything, this Civil War has taught you is that you don't have to shed blood. I mean, they want it. Look at the COVID. They got rid of a lot of people. You saw all those videos coming in from China with people being burnt alive. I'm just saying, have faith. Stay strong. Stay strong in what you believe in. 
and it'll all be fine. Make sure you speak to those around you. Make sure you point things out because that's how you fight disinformation with truth. And just remember, it took them 24 months to change it on into what it is and has been for over 50 years now. I don't want them to turn my nation into that. Do you? Definitely not, right? So on that note, guys, I'm going to see you tomorrow, same time, same place. And just think, whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. That's the way it is. Because this nation is a descendant of rebels. Falling too fast to prepare for this Tripping in the world could be dangerous Everybody's circling his vultures Negative, nepotist Everybody's waiting for the fallen man Everybody's praying for the end of times Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was born for this Whip, whip, run me like a race horse Pull me like a ripcord Break me down and build me up I wanna be the slip, slip Word upon your lip, lip Letter that you rip, rip Break me down and build me up Whatever it takes Cause I love the adrenaline in my face I do whatever it takes Cause I love how it feels when I break the chains Whatever it takes Yeah, I take my time to I'm ready for whatever it takes Cause I love the adrenaline in my